Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California, and uh, specifically Montecito, which is unincorporated Santa Barbara, if you're curious. I will say this, that even though that Southern California is on the warm side and temperate side we probably do have the best weather in santa barbara just about anywhere in the country right now it's a little cold it's a little cold outside and even in santa barbara and uh well the real estate markets are especially frozen now here and everywhere else and they will continue to be at least for the next couple of months uh, into the new year so why is this happening anyway? Well, real estate more than any other investment is highly, highly dependent on interest rates, right? And right now there is simply too much volatility in that space in the world of interest rates for reasonable underwriting to occur. We've talked about this before. And to be clear, it's not high interest rates that are the problem. That is something that's very important because I know some people are asking the question, well, is are the days of acquiring real estate and making money over? No, not at all. I mean, listen, if you look at historical interest rates, we're, you know, we're, we're not even there yet. We're, we're still below that. And people have made money in real estate throughout all, you know, through hyperinflation, through, you know, through 0% rates, etc. It's, you know, it's not the absolute level of interest rates. The problem right now is the moving goalpost because the real estate markets, like every other market, hate uncertainty. You know what? I hate uncertainty too. Uh, it's funny, I was talking to uh, one of my trainers today, I do this kind of uh, stretching resistance program. And and I was talking about how I feel just generally a little bit down these days. And he said, well, it's probably because of high interest rates. <laughs> and I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I think you're actually right. That said, listen, we need to keep deploying money to keep up with inflation, right? That's something that you have to keep in mind. And I know a lot of people or sitting on cash, lots of cash. And it's not a terrible idea, but just know that in the process, you are losing 7 to 8% buying power on an annual basis right now. So 
So don't don't sit on it because you're scared. Sit on it because you haven't seen a great opportunity yet, but keep your eyes open for opportunities. We're going to have some even in our own investor club here very shortly. So, you know, my own strategy is adjusted to this current reality, right? You know, I've, I've been like sort of strictly real estate for a very long time now. I've started looking at businesses right now, though. This is, well, this is something I haven't done in a while. In the right hands, though, businesses can provide streams of income that exceed cash on cash of real estate acquisitions. And that is important to remember because if you bought your own business, chances are that your return of capital would project out to about three years, right? So like sort of a 30% annualized return. Larger businesses, of course, will have a smaller multiple. It's all about the risk and reward profile of any investment, particularly in the world of businesses. And the reason large apartment buildings tend to trade at cap rates that are, you know, barely below the mortgage rate is because they are extremely stable assets. They have very few moving parts. And businesses inherently uh, have, you know, more moving parts. And therefore, you should be rewarded for taking a bit more risk if you invest in those instead of real estate. So, and I'm talking about this, and this is important because I think, uh, you know, this is an area I feel like there's some misinformation floating around out there because there's some, you know, there's some business stuff going on, and, and I'm not sure, you know, what the assumptions are and the pro formas, and I think it's, well, you can't compare those with things that you've gotten in real estate. And I can tell you this, listen, I know this because I'm, I'm different from many of the podcasters in the personal finance podcast ecosystem, not just because I'm a former surgeon, but because I started out my career really as an entrepreneur. In fact, I started three multi-million dollar businesses before I ever did one real estate syndication deal. And, you know, that's couple billion dollars worth of uh, investment since then so uh, or you know uh, syndication since then so listen I my roots are in business and and so I know a thing or two about it however I know a thing or two about mostly starting businesses which is different from evaluating and buying businesses that's a different skill set altogether and it's important to know that a number of you have come to the last couple of meetings. You, you've heard Zolfi Ali talk, and you know you might have met him. Last couple of meetups, he used to run the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Bahrain, uh, so that's a multi-billion-dollar um, fund, and he was the guy running it. And he spearheaded acquisitions of multi-billion-dollar companies. I mean, that's a different level of expertise in business acquisition, and that's. You know, that's why I'm following his lead, right? Listen, though, it's to be clear, not everyone should be an entrepreneur. A lot of you know George Newberry, George from AHP and from Debt Cleanse and all that. George is a really good friend, and uh, he and I actually have had some personal conversations. He's probably one of the, you know, most prolific entrepreneurs I've ever met and had a personal relationship with, if not the most prolific. But George and I, you know, we were kind of talking one time before we did a podcast about how, you know, you're you're really born an entrepreneur often. 
And it's, you know, you keep score by how much money you make, but it's often a curse for people around them, right? Because it's not always fun going through the herky-jerky nature of it all. So if you're not an entrepreneur, right, you're not born that way, whatever, but are interested in investing in businesses, what should you do? Well, again, you can look for private acquisitions to invest passively. We're, you know, as I mentioned, we're going to do one of those this week, which I'm uh, very excited about. But if you don't want to get your hands dirty, you might consider looking into franchises. Now, franchises do offer some guardrails for people who are not natural entrepreneurs and are, want a greater level of support and mitigate risk a little bit. So, uh, this week on Wealth Formula Podcast, I'm going to speak with Kim Daly, uh, who's been on the show before, and uh, she is an expert at matching people with franchise opportunities. So when we come back, Kim Daly. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is no stranger to Wealth Formula Nation. She's uh, been on the show a few times before. Her name is Kim Daly, and she spent 20 years helping uh, people achieve financial freedom through various franchise opportunities. She has a tremendous skill set matching clients' backgrounds, interests, skills, and finances, and life goals to the ideal opportunity. And that's made her one of the top franchise consultants in the country. Welcome back, Kim. Thank you so much, Buck. It's such a pleasure to be here. Hey, thank you. Thank you. That's very nice. Um, so I do I do want to kind of start off a little bit. Um, you know, and, and people already know you, so we won't spend a lot of time talking about your background. But what I'm really curious about is what do you make of this economy and, and how it's affecting businesses? What's going on in your uh, from your perspective? Makes people crazy. It's making people <laughs> crazy, right? Yeah, like it makes people crazy, but you know what, Buck? This too shall pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this is what I say to people. Look, there's a couple of things. Number one, when you consider a franchise investment, the whole idea is that you're going into business for yourself, but not by yourself. So you don't have to figure out the answers to all the problems on your own. There are people who maybe in your company who've lived through a recession before in this very business, right? The franchise or maybe other franchisees. So there's that. 
there could be a track record. There might be experience if the business has been around long enough to have gone through like 2008, 2009. But the other thing is, and this may be more important to sort of the ownership in a business. Look, if you're coming to the idea of owning a business, you can't control the economy. (laughs) So if you're going to worry about what the economy is doing before you even begin, you're never going to do anything. If you're going to get into a business, let's say the economy is booming. Eventually, it's not going to be booming. (laughs) Right. So you're going to have to learn how to get through it. So, again, it falls back on finding people not widgets. When you invest in a franchise, you're buying people, not widgets. You're looking for people that have experience, track record, money that you can lean into and say, hey, what if? And they say, this is what we do, or this is what we've done, or go talk to our franchisees. I was uh, talking to uh, a friend of mine who's a hotelier, and he uh he has started to notice some, you know, some repercussions of, of what's going on. Uh, in the economy, um, although, you know, in general, hotels have not been hit too hard yet. And what's interesting to me about that is that the vast majority of people going to these hotels, they work for somebody else. And so they have not really seen the changes in balance sheets, profitability and that kind of thing. And sometimes they, uh, because of that, they have a false sense of security we're a business owner, for better or worse, you got reality in your face every single day, right? Yeah, but you know what, Buck? For those people that are super, super worried about it, because look, not everybody who comes to the idea of owning a business is even worried about it, right? If you're a seasoned investor, you owned a business before, those people are a little bit hardier. Um, if it's your first time, I think you're right to like be like, oh, what do I do? But there are plenty of franchise businesses in essential services like, look, if my roof leaks, recession or not, I got to fix it, right? If, um, what's another business? Laundry. Like, you know, a couple of the people that I've met through Wealth Formula over the years are now laundromat franchisees. There's a laundromat as a franchise? Yes, right? Like, people are going to do laundry. There are all kinds of home services franchises that you definitely could say, and the franchisors can make a case, these are a set uh, recession resistant. So if you're super worried about it, we can just go right to those businesses that feel essential. Yeah. You know, the same, it was this kind of the same conversation during the pandemic. I mean, a little bit different, but sort of, because we didn't really know when that was going to end. Right. So in 2020, the most interesting fact I can share with you about 2020 is the number one business that I helped people get into was a yoga studio. Like a lot of people bought into the Yoga 6 brand. So people think, gosh, in, in the pandemic and like people couldn't even go out and go to the gym. Why were they investing in a yoga studio? Well, because when you're investing in a business, especially like that, it's not for that moment we were in, right? It, it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's six to 12 months from signing to opening, right? So there was a lag. And you were working with this particular franchisor is the largest fitness franchisor and boutique fitness franchisor in the world. And they had no, they had really, really solid validation during the pandemic because they were working so hard on behalf of their 2000 clubs. They have no permanent closures due to the pandemic. They have no failures ever in the history of their brands. So the the proof was in the pudding. If I could get people to the table and say, just stay open. If you like fitness, be willing to explore it. 
doesn't have to be right. Just stay open. And I could serve them up to this franchisor. And then eventually they could get the candidate to the point where they could go meet their franchisees. The franchisees are the ones that tell the story. They they don't have it. They don't have a dog in this fight. So they're not trying to quote sell you anything, right? They're just telling you their real world experience. So if you're out there and you're worried about a franchise you're looking at, get to the point where you can validate with owners because they're going to tell you how it really is. And on that note, though, Buck, not all owners are created equal, right? Some people are looking for a franchisor to do it for them, and they're going to struggle no matter what, good economy or bad economy. You got to really be directed by the franchisor to the owners that are taking full ownership of their moment. And that can tell you, explain to you, help you see what, you know, tell you what you need to do, give you that solid advice. There's the idea in franchising is that there's so many resources available. So whether it's investing in an essential business, but even then it's following the franchisor's lead and asking for help when you need it. And, and, you know, um, not being afraid to like say, hey, this isn't really working for me or, hey, this is how I'm feeling about what's happening, right? A lot of times as investors and business owners, you know, we <laughs> we have egos. We feel like we have to know everything. Like it's, you know, kind of, we're kind of ashamed to be like, I don't really know if I can, you know, if I can really ask that question. Is there a repercussion to me asking that question? Especially if you've worked in big corporate America, right? Like yeah. some questions you just can't ask. Well, like all of that has to disappear. We check egos at the door in franchising and say, hey, please come. Humility, welcome. And in coachability, uh, very, very welcome. And, and we can help you learn to be successful. You know, the la- another thing I thought of, Buck, is, you know what, an industry that surprises people that really is recession resistant is the beauty industry, mm. right? Like, like women, we don't really stop spending money, right? So, like, if you have, like, a Botox or, like, an anti-aging clinic, I mean, come on. In a stressful time, we need that more. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's mixed. I mean, I will tell you, you know, I'm a former cosmetic surgeon, um, so... Uh, this is, uh, I would say that there is some, um, <laughs> there's a point at which things slow down. Let's put it that way. I mean, certainly okay. COVID was, COVID was, uh, COVID was a good time actually for cosmetics. And it was because there was plenty of cash. I mean, there was helicopter money out there, right? And um, we had one of the best years in cosmetic surgery. I, mean, I don't do it anymore, but I have a cosmetic surgery business. Chicago and we had one of the best years ever during COVID and why because people didn't have anything else to do <laughs> besides go get liposuction and so on you can't and so go forth. anywhere anyway yeah but you know well, I mean and that's I do, what I'm talking about like yeah. it doesn't even have to be the expensive things it could be like nails sure, it could sure. be hair like I'm not going to stop coloring my hair no, because there's it. a recession yeah right? that's true although um, you probably hear because uh, because I've sort of inculcated this into it, my listeners. You you're probably hearing all of them ask for boring businesses, right? Yes, because that's what because yes. that's what we always talk about. Yes, and you know, boring businesses are the generally the ones that we. I think we in any economy, it's it's the often the prize because it's not glamorous, yes. and especially yeah. for the types of investors that are in this group. They don't really want to be that hands-on, you know? Right. So talk a little bit about the different levels of, you know, being hands-on and not being hands-on in franchises. Can you, 
to a certain degree, be, you know, a true passive owner? Okay. So a business will never truly be passive. It's no such thing, right? Somebody has to be there. It doesn't necessarily have to be the person whose money is in it. Sure. But in my experience, the person whose money is in it, their mouth is in it too. (laughs) So, right. It's your money and you kind of want to make sure that like, it's going to go the way it's going to go. So the first thing I'm going to say is if you're looking for an investment and you want it to be truly passive, Kim Daly is not your girl, right? But if you're like, Hey, I have a few hours a week, maybe somewhere between 10 and 20. I have leadership skills. There's a lot of franchise businesses that are defined as what we call semi-absentee. They are designed for executive investors or executive career people who have a full-time job, have other investments, have other businesses. Um, They can put a little bit of time and attention into the business. And really, like, it's the startup phase. It's making sure that that manager you've hired is the right one and the team is in place. And then it's kind of stepping back from there. Um, so, yeah, that's called semi-absentee ownership. But when when I get a candidate who comes to me saying, I think I'm looking, you know, to invest in a business, I want to know, I want to learn your goals. Like, yeah. people always kind of start with, oh, I think I'm interested in fitness. Or, and I'm like, okay, okay, wait. Um, I'm less interested in what you think you're interested in, and I'm more interested in why you want to do this. So the business is creating an outcome in your life, personally, professionally, and financially, it creates an outcome. So if I can get you clear on what you want out of the business, taking your focus off of the widget, then I can cast a much wider net and allow you to become a business owner, not a hobby master. Right. And I love that you coach your people to boring business. I say in my, you know, in my industry, like dirty jobs equal big businesses. Not all the boring businesses are dirty, but the dirty jobs can mean big, big money. Like I have a drain cleaning business. You know, it's it's all about calls, texts, and trucks. Nobody wants to call you, they have to call you. Nobody's shopping for drain cleaning. You answer the phone and you're friendly, you're available. Guess what? You're booking a job. (laughs) This particular franchisor does all of the online search engine optimization. They answer your call through their national call center. So they're trained by the franchisor to be polite, to book that call. They're putting that call right into your schedule. So that's what allows an owner to work more on it. If you want to like fix drains, that's an opportunity for you. Exactly. But not for you, for the people that work for you. Yeah. Got it. So you would hire drain people for that. Of course. Yeah. You would hire people who would actually go drive the truck and answer the call, you know, go and to the rescue and clean the hair out of my drain. Okay. Got it. So, all right. (laughs) I'm not doing that. Let me ask you this. Okay. Just to putting this in perspective. Now I live here in Santa Barbara, California not a great business environment necessarily to live in Southern California and, you know, operate a business here. Uh, How challenging is it to own and operate franchises out of state from a distance, that kind of thing? So I think it depends on what you've done in the past. Some franchisors will not award you a franchise, your first one anyway, if you're not doing it right in your backyard. So there's that. But there are definitely franchisors that are like, you can do it three states away. We don't care. If you think you can do it, you can do it. But I I think it just all, again, it comes back to the skill set that the owner has. Do you have leadership skills and comfort level managing from afar? Mm -hmm. So saying it and doing it can be two different things. But if you've been a global leader, 
in your corporate past, right? Or you've, you know, you own properties and you manage them through people all across the country, then chances are you might feel comfortable doing it. And going back to a question you asked me before about, you know, semi-absentee ownership, when I'm setting up the conversation after we talk about what people are trying to get to in their business, Buck, we, we then are going to, I'm going to explain to every single investor, you've gone through my process, you might remember this, but I explain to people what their money buys. So we're always trading time for money, money for time. So there's an extreme case uh, or set of franchises that are big in capital investments, but very minimal time commitments, like my laundromat. So they're like, uh, have you ever seen a WeWork, right? Shared mm-hmm. office space. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are franchises in that kind of a shared space as well that are big capital investments to build, but very, very minimal time commitment all the way down to maybe as little as five hours a week. So, and even then you could hire somebody to do that if you had the money to do it. So sure. again, there, there's something for everybody. There are small investments that are home-based where people dive in, roll up their sleeves, want to start figuring it all out, learning it, and then scale. And then there are bigger businesses that you're investing in infrastructure, location, people, technology, brands, and all of that infrastructure is what buys you back your time typically. Got it. Got Makes it. sense? Yeah. What, uh, what are you seeing uh, right now in terms of, uh, you know, again, going back to the fact that the economy is a little weird, is there any sort of buying opportunity right now in franchises? Because I presume people are probably slowing down a little bit in terms of getting into them, in part because of the financing, right? I mean, it, money is not cheap anymore. It used to be really cheap, and now it's like two or three times as expensive. Are you finding uh, that or is not that really not changed? I, the, you're right. Interest rates have gone up, but I have not slowed down in my business. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I think it depends on like how you prospect and the kind of like the consultant in terms of like the kind of candidates that I'm working with mm-hmm. are not um, candidates that are going to be steered away by things like that. Um, so I, I, that my answer is I am not seeing that in my business. So no better deals, no better deals though, for potential franchise uh, owners, no better deals. Yeah. For them, for, for people who are thinking about franchise. No, not financing. Financing isn't great right now, but people that have the dream, it's like, you know, anything else. If you, if you want to do this, it's, it's go time. If you wait for everything to be perfect, you're never going to do it. So if people make that the reason they don't move forward, they were probably going to make an excuse for not moving forward anyway, mm-hmm. what, potentially. Uh, yeah. So wh- when you look at like expectations in terms of, you know, profits and stuff like that, like what do you tell mm-hmm. people? When it, it obviously okay. depends on the type of, yes, the type of so, franchise, but you know, I mean, is it really like, okay, you're going to put in more hours, you're going to get a higher return. Is it that kind of thing or, or, or what? I love that myth. Okay. So no, the level of investment going in does not correlate to the potential to earn. The level of investment going in correlates to the owner's time commitment in the business, as I just explained. So Mm -hmm. lower investment of money, bigger investment of owner time commitment, bigger investment, typically lower investment of owner time commitment from go. So the, the, the amount of money that you can make is not correlated. But in terms of earnings claims, so as the consultant, I can't make any claim to how much money anybody is ever going to make. 
but all, most of the franchisors that I work with in their franchise disclosure documents. So our industry is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that sets franchising apart from biz ops and licenses and distributorships. It's just the amount of regulation. So earnings claims are not mandatory, but if a franchisor is going to make an earnings claim, they have to put it in writing in their franchise disclosure document. So the franchisors that I work with, by the time they're ready to hire consultants to help them grow their brand, they pretty much all have some representation of earnings. But where where I'm going to coach my people to kind of use that data to kind of get their bearings, but not to make an investment decision based on an earnings claim, you've got to go out and do your own due diligence and mostly, Buck, by going and talking to the existing franchise owner. Again, the people who don't have a dog in the fight, the people who are just going to tell you their real world experience about what it's like and how they're doing and what they're, and you know, how much they can, how much the franchisor is helping them in terms of driving the revenue, because that's really a good franchisor is focused on driving that average unit volume up because that's where they make their money off of the royalty from the average unit volume. How an owner is going to net out their business is really going to be on them. You could, I I know in certain industries, you could have franchisees in the same company who are five to 10 points away from each other, just again, based on whether they financed or didn't finance based on paying a manager or not paying a manager based on just being an efficient operator, keeping teams of people. I mean, training and, you know, hiring new people is costly. So in like in the residential cleaning industry, sometimes, you know, you look at the earnings and you see like in the younger years, where people haven't really figured out the right person to hire and how to keep them. You, there's a lot of turnaround in the, in the, the cleaners, maybe like you'll see like a 17 or 18% net margin, but then you go to people who are in three, four, five years and they've sort of mastered who to hire. These people are then bringing their friends in. So you have a very stable work or labor force, which then creates a stable client, right? Cause I want the same people cleaning my house. Cause that creates consistency you might see that net margin go up to 20, 22%, right? In the, in the same franchise. So I'm not making any earnings claims. We're just talking, sure, sure. Topping, yeah, yeah. Topping, uh, talking hypothetically, but yeah. So it's like, I, I saw this happen in my business. So I became, you know, the, I built the largest franchise consulting business in the history of franchise consulting back in 2012. And then I shared what I did with other consultants. And a few years later, somebody doubled what I did. And I hated him for it. And I loved him for it all at the same time. It was really inspiring. You know, he was like, but you set the record, Kim. And, you know, you did it first. I'm like, yeah, okay. But here's the thing. When we were comparing notes, I actually still brought home more money that year than he did. So that it was sort of an aha moment for me. So at that point in my business, I had stopped quote, buying leads. I became 100% referred lead driven. I started, you know, prospecting for people differently. He was buying all of his leads, which is very, very costly and way, he was working way more hours than I was working, by the way. So yeah, like his top line revenue was higher than mine, but my take home was way higher than his. So Mm -hmm. was it worth doubling it? I don't know, right? So then we're in the same business, but we had two very different bottom lines. And when, when that happened to me, again, I had this aha moment like, oh, so like when I'm coaching people about net margins and validating EBITDA, you got to be very careful because it's all just going to be based on how that particular owner is running their business. You really only can look at 
the things that are consistent in each business. You know, if you have rent or you have a gross pro, you know, profit margin on a product that you're buying that the franchisor is controlling, you know, the distributor cost. And then the rest of it is really just up to what you feel you can create through your leadership and your, um, you know, your mentorship of that business and the team of people that you have in place. So, you know, you always hear about the high percentage of startup businesses failing. Do you have any statistics in terms of franchises compared to your usual startup? So the statistic out there that you're referring to, I guess, I'm guessing, is that like 90% of startup businesses fail before their fifth anniversary. Yeah. So that statistic is not owned in franchising on the franchisee side. You know what I will say? I, I do think that that statistic is owned in the startup franchisor side. So if a franchisor, let's say that somebody starts a business and then their family and friends are like, oh, you should franchise this. So they turn it into a franchise. They have no background in developing a franchise, building infrastructure to support a franchise, they're not properly capitalized, then guess what? That business is nothing more than a startup statistic before they get to 100 units. So 100 units is about the stabilizing point of a franchise. So I just said a lot of things in there. When you're looking for a, a good franchise or partner, you need a, a franchisor that has really solid background in developing franchises, selling franchises, supporting franchisees, running a franchise operation. And guess what? All of that takes money. So they've got to be backed by private equity. Like they've got to have some amount of money to really lift this brand to get to a hundred units. And a, and a really good franchise is probably going to get to a hundred units. I mean, for me, that's like 30 owners who all buy three territories or three units. And that can mm -hmm. happen in one year. Yeah. Right. So if it's taking a franchise or 10 years to get to 100 units. Like that's not really a brand. Like there's no brand value there for so long. That's not what you're looking for. So it comes back to the people that you're partnered with and their backgrounds and what they're bringing to the table that determines the strength of this entire franchise. All right. What are your three favorites right now? Boy. So I don't have favorite franchises, Buck. I have favorite <laughs> characteristics. So I will give you my favorite okay. characteristics. Okay. They're probably much similar to yours. I like low fixed costs. I like Boring. big, fat, healthy margins. <laughs> That's kind of the same thing, though. It's cheating. I like essential service. I do. I am the queen of home services, like always of all time. Do you, do you own other franchises besides, the, you know, obviously you have the franchise for franchises, but do you have other franchises? This is my very, very, very full-time business, Buck. Right, right, right. <laughs> I built such an amazing I'm, business I'm here. Sure. It's like silly sure. for me to be distracted. Okay, okay. Yeah, no. Uh, when my kids are bigger, my hope is that they're going to be entrepreneurs and I'm yeah. going to help make them franchisees. Sure. But no, at this moment, no. I am solely okay. dedicated to helping other people and then coaching them to success. All right. So, so, so I like low fixed costs, yeah. big fat healthy margins, essential service is good. Um, I like businesses that have more freedom and flexibility. Like I don't, I don't necessarily like locking people into like, Oh, your business is open seven days a week. You know, like I like it where it's more, um, a, your schedule can be based around your own quality of life, but therein lies the, you know, m potentially the more you put into it, the more you're going to make. Depends if you're semi absent or full-time. When you want to get out of these things, how hard is it to sell? 
Um, so franchise businesses are absolutely built to be sold. I'm coaching all of my people. I believe a business should be built to be sold. And um, it's your business to put whatever price you think you can get on it. And depending on the brand value and the economy, when you go to sell, I mean, sometimes franchisees cash out for millions of dollars. Like when you look at big brands like Planet Fitness, I have personal friends that were paid eight multiples of clubs that were doing a million dollars. And one of my friends at 58 cashed out for $80 million of 10 clubs of Planet Fitness. You know, Massage Envy, we saw the same thing. There was a moment in time where the brand was sort of at its peak value before the rest of the world woke up and all the competition was flooding the market. You know, uh, Massage Envy created this membership for massage and we saw Massage Envy owners cashing out for six multiples. So Massage Envy doesn't hold on to that multiple. There was just a moment in time. So when I'm working with an investor, it's all about your goals. Are Do you want something that's, you know, not necessarily going to have a peak like that, but not necessarily going to have a, val- uh, a valley? Something like laundry, boring, just is what it is, right? Or if you're in for that kind of a ride, sometimes the biggest amount of return on your investment comes at exit. I interviewed the founder of Janpro, which is the largest um, commercial cleaning franchise in, I think, in the world. And, um, and Jack says all day long that his, his franchisees are high level executives and they build massive multi-million dollar businesses. But he says almost always their greatest return is when they go to sell that multi-million dollar business because it's cleaning, commercial cleaning. It's never going anywhere to your point. Yeah. Uh, Kim, how do we, uh, well, first of all, if people are interested in franchises, um, how do they connect with you? I'll say my services are free, so you never have to pay me any money. I'm paid by franchisors to offer this really, really valuable service, which really is just to guide you, educate you, teach you. There is no obligation. I tell people saying yes to a franchise investment is the natural thing to do when you've asked enough questions and you're satisfied with enough of the answers, right? right? So it's a process. It's about a one to a two month process that I work with people. But the first place, the first thing to do, I think, is to go to my YouTube channel. So you mentioned, you know, during the pandemic that I think you mentioned about adapting. Well, during the pandemic, I had to adapt because prior to 2020, I used to travel and host live events. That's how I found people who wanted to work with me. And then I couldn't get people together. And I was like, what am I going to do? It was adapt or die. And I turned on the video and it was the greatest thing ever because now I'll never have to travel again. <laughs> so I have I have nearly 500 yeah. videos now on my YouTube channel at Kim Daily, D-A-L-Y, kimdaily.tv on all subjects. Interviews with top franchisors and franchisees, you know, explanation of fees, helping overcome your fear, helping you understand the process, helping you understand my role. So check out a few videos. Of course, all of my contact information is there. I'd love to hear from you with a question, a concern. I think I'm interested. Let's go. Wherever you're at, I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Kim, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'd love to have you back in the, you know, in the future, maybe when the economy is burning hot and you can tell us, you know, what's going on then. The good thing about franchising, Buck, is that in good times and bad, the franchise industry grows, right? Like people's motivations change and what they invest in changes to the points we've made today, but they still invest. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. So yeah, I mean, I think we need to shift our attention, right? Let's not get lulled into submission and have a bunch of cash sitting in the bank just losing value. Start thinking about, you know, other ways you can invest. And it may not be a bad idea to start looking into, you know, businesses and, um, you know, we'll certainly shift our focus in that direction for a little bit in, in Investor Club if you're not already part of that and you are an accredited investor, go to wealthformula.com and sign up and, and we'll have some things going on through there. You have to go through an onboarding process before you can actually participate though. Uh, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not facts. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.